Hello, podcast listeners. I hope you're enjoying your day as much as I am. Dude, there's a lot of stuff that's happening in the market, and it's kind of insane Like with some of the stuff that's happening currently right now. I mean, the market has a tendency of going up throughout the week. Or, I mean, not correction, it keeps going down throughout the week, and then on Friday it bounces back. And, of course, it had its moments today. But it's just it's hard to tell how things are going in the market currently, but we can at least read about what's potentially happening and make our decisions off that, right? First off, today we're going to be talking a little bit about how IBM shares slide after the company trims forecast, okay? There's some news from the Pentagon. The Pentagon and Lockheed have reached a deal to build the 375 F-35 fighter jets, okay? We're going to talk a little bit about that. And then we got a lot of news to talk about in the oil and energy sector between Joe Biden and the Middle East, what's happening with Europe and how they're bracing for a potential gas shortage from Russia, but at the same token, how the news isn't talking about how that how in Europe they just signed a deal with Israel. And finally, we're gonna the last thing we're gonna talk about too is how Google and Chevron have invested in nuclear fusion startup that and that raised $1.2 billion, which is interesting to get into a little bit for later. But that being said, guys, like I always say at the beginning of each podcast, I'm not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form. I'm not telling you how to make your investment choices. I cannot legally give you financial advice in any way, shape, or form. This whole podcast is for information purposes only and for those who wish to get entertainment purposes out of it as well. You need to do your own research before investing in any companies. I have to admit today before I start this podcast that I do have long positions in both IBM and Chevron. They're both very small positions, but I do have to mention that I do have some positions in those companies. And if I have any other companies to talk about, I'll make sure I mention to mention those as well. With that, be, let's with that let's begin today's podcast. IBM shares slide after company trims cash forecast from CNBC. IBM shares slid as much as four percent in, in extended trading on Monday after the company trimmed its 2022 cash forecast. It still beat on the top and bottom lines. Here's how the company did: earnings were two dollars and thirty one per share, adjusted for two dollars and twenty seven per share as expected by analysis, according to Refinitiv. Revenue at $15.54 billion versus $15.18 billion, as expected by analysis, according to Refinitiv. IBM revenue rose 9% year over year, and according, according to a statement, income and continuing operations increased to $1.47 billion from $810 million in a year ago quarter. IBM spun off its management infrastructure services business into publicly traded Kendrel in November, and the sales of Kendrel boosted IBM's revenue. Quote, we're planning... For about five to six points of revenue growth from, from the sale of uh, Kendrel in 2022, Jim Cavigan, IBM's financial chief, said on a conference call with analysis, management called for $10 billion in free cash flow for all of 2022, down from the range of $10 billion to $10.5 billion that was provided in April. Kavanaugh blamed the strong dollar and the suspension of the business in Russia. Quote, that's a very high, highly profitable business for us, and that's going to cost a couple hundred millions of dollars worth of free cash flow and profit. By the way, in 2022, he said... Executives reiterated their plan to con- for consistent currency revenue growth and the high end of their mid-single-digit model for the year. Currency negotiation cor- correction. Currency negatively impacted reported revenue by over six percent of growth, or nine hundred million, which was two hundred more than spot rates had indicated three months ago. Kavanaugh said, IBM reported six point one seven billion in software revenue in the second quarter, up six percent, but below six point three billion consensus among analysis 
pulled by Street Accountant. The company consulting division generated $4.81 billion in revenue, jumping nearly 10% and surpassing the Street Account consensus of $4.67 billion. IBM Infrastructure's unit, which included mainframe computers, contributed $4.24 billion in revenue, up 19% as well from the $3.79 billion Street Account consensus. On May 31st, IBM started selling its latest mini frame, the, the Z16. The mainframe cycle generally brings revenue growth at the beginning of customers' upgrade, followed by decline. Sales of Z Systems products rose 69% compared to the decline at 19% for the first quarter. So, oh, and finally, last thing we got to talk about too, it says also in the quarter, IBM announced a plan to acquire cybersecurity startup Randori and and. Francisco partner closed its acquisition. IBM wants in healthcare data and analysis assets in a deal reported worth more than 1 billion. I feel like IBM is slowly turning things around in general. Okay. IBM has had a rough couple of years and I feel like management is finally getting their act together a little bit, but at the same token, I don't think their management is the correct management that they should have in right now. I mean, cash is going to be a struggle in hand. And I didn't realize how much important the Russian business was. I'm curious to know, and I'm in maybe in a conference call, they'll be able to talk a little bit more about it, how much of their business is in Russia. And if they're going to remodel it so that they could potentially still get revenue into IBM. But I have to mention this too. I think one day IBM is going to be a juggernaut of a company again. And the only reason I say that is I firmly believe that the when, when IBM bought Red Hat a few years ago, I thought it was a great move. And the thing that I looked forward to the most is potentially that former CEO of Red Hat becoming the CEO of IBM when the time comes. The question is just when does he become the CEO of IBM? And hopefully he does, because I feel like if he takes over, there's going to be a lot of good changes coming for IBM. But we're going to keep an eye out for IBM going forward just to see what's happening with them in the end. Now from the Pentagon. Pentagon and Lockheed reached deal to build 375 F-35 fighter jets. Okay, From Washington, the U.S. Department of Defense agreed with Lockheed Martin to build about 375 F-35 fighter jets over three years. The two parties the two parties said on Monday, amid expectations, the price of most common version of the aircraft would increase due to inflation and slower production. Quote, we are pleased to announce that the Department of Lockheed Martin reached a handshake agreement for the F-35 lot on a basis of 375 aircraft, said William LaPlante and the Pentagon's chief weapons buyer. Earlier on Monday, Rudders reported the deal worth more, about 300, correction, worth about 30 billion was nearing an agreement. The handshake agreement came as the aviation industry gathered for the return of the Fran Airshow, air show, aiming for a display of confidence that the devastation of COVID-19 though the only records likely to be broken at the event in southwestern England for the sweltering temperatures. The handshake deal is the starting point for finalizing contract pricing and award, which will likely not be locked in for several weeks, if not months. So the ultimate value of the deal and the price of each jet variant is still uncertain. Continuing on with the article, the most common version of the F-35A, which flies conveniently from runways, the first aircraft that was the version cost $221 million when it came off the production line in 20 and 2007 since then production quantities and know-how have increased helped the price of stealthy fifth generation flighter fall about 79 million each as it gained buyers i have to say in the end this is insane okay lockheed martin's already benefiting a lot from the russian war right now and i'm still and i mean because they're giving a lot of their products and services to the ukrainian people and these package deals that we keep sending over to ukraine is making Lockheed Martin some money. 
I'm curious to know going forward though, how many of these F-35 jets are going to be going to Ukraine? Probably none in the end, but the fact that they're trying to build more in the next two to three years says the following. One, does the government believe currently that we're going to war anytime soon? It's hard to tell. Two, maybe it's because they actually have to replace some planes finally, and it's just about time to replace them. Or three, maybe they're just preparing for things that we don't know about. It's hard to tell, okay? But it's weird that now the next two to three years, this contract deal is going to be happening. As it says here, Lockheed said in a statement that in the midst of the continued COVID-19 impacts had decreased F-35 quantities, the F-35 enterprise was able to achieve a cost per jet lower than record-breaking inflation trends. Last week, U.S. data showed inflation had accelerated to an annual rate of 9.1% in June. Amid the pandemic, Lockheed began to foreshadow that the price of the jet could rise as economies of scale diminished and supply chains stumbled. A Pentagon previous three years ago block by SIG signed in, uh, in 2019 was for the was the for the 478 F35 fighter jets allowing Lockheed to buy larger quantities of components to reduce the cost by 8% to 34 billion versus negotiation annual contracts the F35 has several recent successes in fight jet competitions including Finland Switzerland and Germany potential customers include Greece and the Czech Republic so maybe they're going to be selling these planes in the end to these countries maybe they'll sell them to Ukraine as well who knows it's hard to tell but like I said, this is something that we should all be paying attention to because if you are an American, it means your tax dollars are going to be going to build more fighter jets in the making. And what they're going to be used for is hard to tell. But there might be an idea, and it was kind of given by Joe Biden a little bit, even though he doesn't mention the F-35, okay? Biden says U.S. will not walk away from the Middle East, okay? President Joe Biden speaks at a summit of Arab leaders on Saturday that the United States will, quote, will not walk away from the Middle East as he tries to ensure stability in the volatile corner of the globe and boost the worldwide flow of oil reserve rising gas prices. His remarks delivered at the Gulf Corporation Council as he closes out the final leg of his four-day trip come as the region braces for potential confrontations with Iran. Quote, we will not walk away and we will leave a vacuum to be filled by, we will not be filled by Russia, by China, Russia, or Iran, Biden said. We will seek to build a, a, this moment with active, principled American leadership. Although U.S. forces continue to target terrorists in the region and remain deployed at bases throughout the Middle East, Biden suggests that he is turning the page after the country's invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan. Quote, today, I'm proud to be able to say that the errors of land wars in the region, wars that involved huge numbers of American forces, is not underway, he said. Biden also pressed his counterparts, many of which led the represented governments to ensure human rights, including women's rights, and allow their citizens to speak openly. Quote, the future will be won by the countries that unleash their full potential of their populations, he said, including allowing people to question and criticize leaders without fear of repri reprisal. Before the speech, Biden spent the morning meeting individually with the leaders of Iraq, Egypt, and United Arabs, some which he had never sat down with. Biden invited Mohammed... Uh, bin Zah Zahid, who had who had become president of the UAE two months ago to visit the White House this year, saying he looked forward to another period of strong and growing corporations between the two countries under the Sheikh leadership. Something I want to be able to point out, okay, they don't even mention what happened in Afghanistan until later down the article. I believe it says here, let's see, can't find it for the time being, but it mentions how Oh, here it is. The president's first Middle East trip comes 11 months after the chaotic U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. And as a Biden aims to reprioritize the U.S. away from the Middle East uh, run, runniest wars and ongoing conflicts stretching from Libya to Syria. 
Yeah, that's going to be Biden's presidency stained forever by the fact of what happened in Afghanistan. So it's kind of funny that he's reaching out saying like, we will not abandon the Middle East, but we abandon Afghanistan. He went there to pretty much talk about oil issues. And what's interesting is there's reports right now saying that that when he went, that he asked if they could drill more oil. And they pretty much told him that they were at max capacity. They were doing like, I think, 12 million barrels a day and they can maybe push to 13. It's sad if you think about it because it just means that, I mean, right now energy prices are going down. I, I am noticing gas prices around are going down finally. But how long does that last for? Maybe the demand's not there as much anymore. But I do have to point this out because this was posted on Friday and then it ties into what's happening in Europe right now. From Jerusalem. Israel, EU to sign natural gas export deal, Israel's energy ministry. From Jerusalem, Israel and European Union will sign a natural gas export deal on Wednesday during a regional energy conference in Cairo, Israel's energy minister said. The EU has said Israel could be a new source of gas as it looks to reduce its reliance on Russian energy. The deal will be the first time allowing significant exports of Israeli gas to Europe, the minister said. Officials have said they expect the Israeli gas will be sent to liquefaction plants in Egypt and then shipped to northern European markets. The framework deal will be signed by Israel in the EU and Egypt, according to Israeli ministry. It's good to hear that that's finally happening. And that was on Friday, on June 15th. Okay. What's interesting, though, is that CNBC is freaking out right now with what they're reporting because that was from Rudders that was reported on June 15th from from CNBC. It says EU signs new gas deal as fears grow over Russian supply cutoff. Okay. Because this is what they're reporting. From London, the EU signed a new gas deal with Azerbaijan on Monday as officials scramble to secure future supplies amid growing fears of Russian cutoff. The European officials have been preparing for potential complete shutdown of gas supplies from Russia in the wake of the Moscow invasion of Ukraine. Russia has for several years been Europe's most important source of natural gas, which has now a firm push by Brussels to reverse this. European Commissioner President Ursula von der Leyen and European's energy client Kadri Simpson were in Azerbaijan on Monday to finalize the deal. In a statement, the commission said Azerbaijan and the committed of dealing with at least 20 billion cubic meters to the EU annually by 2027. Azerbaijan was already on track to increase deliveries to the region. According to the commission, gas supply from the country will increase from 8.1 billion cubic meters in 2021 to an expected 12.12 billion cubic meters this year. Quote, amid Russia's continued weaponization of its energy supplies, diversification is our country's most important priority. For the EU, the European Commission said in a statement Friday ahead of the trip, Russia has denied it's using gas as a weapon against the West. However, supplies have fallen more than 60% in recent weeks. In addition to the shutdown of the Nord Stream 1 pipeline, a crucial transport point of Russian gas to Germany and beyond, the maintenance work and had added for concerns that Moscow could potentially end its supplies of gas to the bloc altogether. Azerbaijan, which borders Georgia, Turkey, Armenia, Russia, Iran, and the capital C, started exporting natural gas to Europe via the trans Adric pipeline at the end of 2020. At the time, Azerbaijan said it planned to send 10 billion cubic meters of gas to Europe every year, mostly to Italy, but also saw, but also to Greece and Bulgaria. The international energy energies 
noted in March that there could be a role for Azerbaijan to play as Europe looks to reduce its gas import from Russia. Quote, our analysis indicates the production inside the EU and non-Russian pipeline imports, including Azerbaijan and Norway, could increase over the next year by 10 billion cubic meters from 2021. Hmm, Norway. Didn't think about that either. I wonder why that's not being reported that Norway has oil as well and they're not talking about that. Maybe that's the solution too, is that Norway is being used. So with the combination of Azerbaijan, Israel, and Norway, will this energy crisis finally come to an end in Europe? Potentially. It's hard to say. I mean, Europe is still bracing to save energy. At the end of the article, it says, time to save energy. Europe's efforts to seek alternatives of Russia hydrocarbons comes at additional warning. It's time to save energy. The European Commission, the executive arm, the EU, is expected to outline Wednesday a handful of recommendations for corporates of how to cut energy usage. The plan aims to raise awareness for what could be the tough winter in the region if gas supplies are restricted. I hope this is reported from CNBC, in all honesty, because we can actually look at what their plans are and what they're actually trying to do to the people in Europe. And maybe they'll give us an idea of what they'll make, what they might consider doing in the United States. Now, we should technically become energy independent within the United States. We really should. Joe Biden's not going to let that happen, though. He's going to keep begging for overseas countries to be able to provide the energy needs of the United States of America. Which is disappointing, but it's how things are going right now. But we still need to pay attention to the energy markets in general. And probably the rest of this podcast for the remaining of Joe Biden's presidency, energy is probably going to be a major issue going forward. And it's something that's probably going to keep talking about going forward as well, because these oil companies are going to keep making money. Not only that, but companies like Google now, Google a few years back, there was a YouTube video with Google explaining why they were in the energy oil markets as well. There was like some algorithm they were using to help oil companies. But this article came out too for the clean energy side of CNBC. Google and Chevron invest in nuclear fusion startup that raised $1.2 billion. Google and Chevron are part of the $250 million fund raising announced Tuesday for TAE Technologies, a nuclear fusion startup with unconventional strategy that has now raised a total of $1.2 billion. Nuclear fusion is often referred to as the holy grail of clean energy because of its promise of generating nearly unlimited emission-free energy without the equivalent harmful, long-lasting radi- radioactive waste and nuclear fission processes. Oh, procedures, I mean. No, no, it's process. Nuclear fusion is the process by which conventional nuclear power plants generate energy in which the large atom is split into two smaller atoms, therefore releasing energy. Nuclear fusion reverses the process with energy products when two larger atoms slam together to form a new large atom. Fusion is the fundamental process that powers stars and the sun, but has proven fiendish difficult to sustain in a controlled reaction to Earth despite decades of effort. TAE, the fusion technology as a whole, has the potential to be scalable source of no carbon energy generation and a key enabler to grid stability as renewables become a greater portion of the energy mix, said Jim Gabley, president of Chevron Technology Ventures and the energy company's corporate venture capital arm in the statement announcing Tuesday's funding round. Google, the search giant owned by parent company Alphabet, has partnered with TAE since 2014, providing the fusion startup with artificial intelligence and and computational power. But Tuesday marks Google's first cash investment in TAE. That's what it was. One of the things that Google was doing with the oil companies was allowing artificial intelligence. And it was, it's all talked about in the YouTube video about why Google. And I think it was also, there's another tech company. I think it was Microsoft and I think it was Amazon too on how they're using their own artificial intelligence with helping with oil companies. Okay. 
says last thing too we'll read before we end today's podcast is a Japanese investment company Sumitomo Corporation of America has also participated in the round and will help TAE bring in infusion technology to the Asian Pacific region. TAE was founded in 1998 and aims to be aims to have a commercial scale fusion reactor delivering energy to the grid in early 2030. Now, I think at the end of the day, nuclear fusion makes things a little bit more interesting across the board. And the reason that is is I mean it's it's an interesting technology, okay? But at the same time, I have a firm belief, and then like I said, these are just my opinions. I believe Chevron or Exxon or just some big oil companies are eventually just going to start eating up these smaller energy plants, okay? At the end, we still live in a world that's still functioned by oil. If we didn't, we wouldn't be talking about this oil crisis that's happening in Europe across the board. And we also want to be talking about either about how these companies are now investing a ton of money into these startups. Okay. I mean, look at this. It's ridiculous. Like it says like some, some huge announcement from TAE announced a technical milestone. It achieved temperature greater than 75 million degrees Celsius with the current fusion reaction machine nicknamed Norman, which is located in the Foothill Ranch, California, where the company is headquartered. Like this whole thing is going to change a lot of how energy is done in the future. It, it really will be. And it could potentially solve a lot of issues. But at the end of the day, these oil companies are probably going to be the ones who eat up all these greener, cleaner energies in the making. And oil companies will still keep drilling oil. In some way, shape, or form, oil is still going to survive the next generation. How much is used, though, for energy is unknown at this time. But these companies are starting to invest more. I mean, we've read recently that Jeff Bezos had dropped money into another clean energy project. I think he he invested in hydropower or something like that. And we know that there's a company in Panama that's doing, I think, their own thing for jet fuel in the making. These energy things are going to keep making the world a little bit more interesting going forward. At the end of the day, though, I'm curious to know how much these companies are going to be making from these investments. But now's the time for these oil companies to do it because they're making the most money and so they can expand their investment. How's that, Joe Biden? You recently accused oil companies of not investing more to drill more oil. No, Chevron is now trying to get into a cleaner energy. Take that, Joe Biden. But no one's going to report on that, but we will. With that being said, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you have enjoyed it. If you had, I ask that you please like and subscribe to this podcast so we can be able to keep growing this podcast and be able to keep talking about events that are happening on the market that Wall Street is refusing to talk about at this time because we're willing to talk about it here on this channel. And as we continue to grow and we understand what's happening in the market, maybe we'll be able to understand trends that are coming in the future and be able to get other guests on the show. That is a goal of mine one of these days is to have guests. I mean, I think it'd be really cool to be able to interview like your local person on the street and see how they feel about the economy and the market in general. I mean, we hear the billionaires attitudes all the time, but not so much. If you had liked this podcast, please share with friends or family because they might enjoy it as well. And we can continue to grow this podcast as quickly as we can so we can be able to get the word out about what's happening with, with the markets. With that being said, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast today. Thank you and goodbye.